This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Josephine Moon, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Yeah, I'm really happy to meet you, actually, because I feel as though I know you through social media. Yeah. You're big on Twitter. Social media is great for that, isn't it? I've met mm. so many people this trip that, you know, I've known for so long and haven't met in person and finally got to meet them and hug them. And, it, yeah, it's a great. Mm. Love it. Do you know that social media is um, not that we're here advertising it, <laughs> but, I mean, there has been a lot of uh, criticism in the last couple of weeks, um, particularly around Facebook and Facebook Live. Yeah. But for us, it's about it does if you're using it properly, like we are, it's yes. great community. Exactly. It's something that's got such power to do such good things. Yeah. So, yeah, if you if you use it the right way, it's, it's magic. With our audience, I feel a lot of people are homebound for whatever reason. They might live in rural, regional areas or they're in urban areas and can't get out and about. So it's their connection with other readers. Absolutely. I lived in a really tiny town for about six years and, um, I mean, the, the nearest sort of shopping centre or cafe was an hour away yeah. and Facebook was literally often the only contact I had with the outside world during the day. So yeah, yeah I totally get that. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay, let me introduce you. Uh, Josephine was born and raised in Brisbane and had a false start in environmental science before completing degrees in communication and education. So was it a correction you started in <laughs> environmental science? Yeah, well, I love biology. No, I actually was really good at biology, but I sort of wanted to study ecology, but then quickly realised that ecology was full of statistics, and statistics and I don't get on at all. Mm. And so I had to sort of reassess that and think, well, where else can I use my talent? And clearly I was a writer, so I could, you know, write about whatever I wanted in mm. that field. So, mm. yeah, it was good. Yeah, yeah. Twelve years later, Josephine turned her hand to writing, and her best-selling books include The Tea Chess, The Chocolate Promise, uh, and they're both published internationally. Josephine describes her novels as, and I really like this, like chocolate brownies, a treat for the soul but with chunky nuts to chew on and a dash of sea salt that lingers on the tongue. <laughs> that's, that's I haven't heard fiction being described that way before. <laughs> well, I like to write about food, so the food metaphor works for me. And, yeah, you know, I always like to... Well, I mean, now I'm described as uplet, which suits my books, but I, that's what I was writing before it had a word, but so that's mm. how I described it at that point. Was <laughs> Can you explain to our listeners what uplet is? Because yeah. I've only started hearing that, well, I only started hearing that term about six months ago. Yeah, so uplet is fiction that champions kindness, compassion, community, um, you know, the, the power of friendship, family, second chances, and leaves you feeling uplifted at the end of the book, which mm. is always my promise to readers that no matter how big and weighty the issues inside might be, I'm always going to give it to you in a way that is still going to leave you feeling good at the end. Mm. That's so lovely, isn't mm. it? I like that. 
Um, Josephine is also the creator of the successful Authors for Farmers and Authors for Townsville Appeals, which raise funds for drought-affected farmers and flood-affected Townsville residents. Josephine's latest book is The Gift of Life, a colourful and heartwarming story about a cafe owner who was given a new chance of li at life after receiving a heart transplant. Um, <clears throat> so for those that know me, I absolutely am a person that wears my heart on my sleeve. And I was only thinking about this the other day. I mind my niece's um, kids on a Monday. Mm -hmm. um, and the 10-year-old's just gone to kind of middle school. And he was fact-based. When I'd walk around the park with him, as we do every t every time I've got them, because we're walking the dog, he'll ask things about, you know, um, from when he was little, like how did, you know, where did trees come from or, yes. you know, what's that tree called or whatever it is. But Lucas, who's six years old, is all about, um, Cheryl, did you know that not everybody is perfect? Oh, bless. So <laughs> it's made me think about the two types of feelings people have. Well, yeah. they're probably more than two. But I would say that Connor was more fact-based and Lucas is more heart-based or emotional-based. Yeah. What do you think? What are you? Oh, my gosh. And I think anyone who's read my books will see me and my heart all over my books. I mean, mm. they are absolutely an extension of what I want to put out into the world and that's, you know, that exactly that uplifting positive let's talk about emotions and you know and deal with them and bring people together so no i, I absolutely walk around with my heart on my sleeve mm. yeah. i do think that there that that it's a personality type isn't it that empathy and if we have a look at what's happening around us at the moment there's not a lot of that in government globally no very sadly very although sad. obviously we've seen some incredible you know, examples of what it could be like coming from New Zealand at the Absolutely. moment. Absolutely. Jacinta, oh, we love. Wow. Just, yeah, she's yeah. amazing. So, but it, it's an anomaly in a way, isn't it? In power positions it is, yeah. And I think it's generally what we find is those people with that great empathy tend to work in caring fields. So they're teachers and they're nurses and they're mothers and they're, you know, in those sorts of fields. So they don't generally rise to those positions of power, like in government. Yeah. Do you know what I like about her? And we're talking about uh, Jacinda Ardern, who's the Prime Minister of New Zealand, is that she's not role modelling on anyone except herself. She is, she is, and I'm sure she's got, you know, she has to improve in some areas and I'm sure, you know, some New Zealanders might not be happy about some of her policies, but she is 38 and she is running it the way she would do it. Yeah, and I mean, she's she's been very open about that right from the start that, you know, she wants to govern the way she would like to live, basically, which yeah. for me is the perfect career. If you can, you know, work the way you want to live and what you want to see mm. in the world, then that's everything's aligned. Mm, it mm. is. Okay. So I want to talk about um, your career to writing because mm. it came late, didn't it? Yeah, I wrote for... Um, so I think in 1999 I did a workshop with Queensland Writers' Centre and in that... Go back before that. So you grew up in Brisbane. Yeah, I grew up in Brisbane. I'd been writing. I'd always been a writer, I think. I uh, wrote my first proper story when I was nine. Star Were you a Life reader? Oh, gosh, yes. And I, you know, Enid Blyton, like so many writers, Enid Blyton made me a reader. And also the, um, the Silver Brumby series by Elaine mm -hmm. Mitchell. Oh, I was just at the library as often as I could, digging through the shelves, trying to find those books. I was addicted to them. So, yeah, I think, you know, most writers become writers because they're readers first. Um, so, yeah, I was always a writer and I spent 
you know, I grew up before the internet, so I spent a lot of time writing. So did I. Yeah, <laughs> writing by hand and writing letters to everyone and anything in class, yeah. during maths class specifically, which is why statistics and I didn't get on later in life. Um, yeah, and I think once I realised that, then I, you know, changed to journalism and then uh, my mother was always very concerned that I should have a proper job because she didn't think there'd be any jobs in writing. So I did then study education and became an English teacher, film and media teacher. Yeah. And it was in that first year teaching that, yeah, I did a workshop with Queensland Writers' Centre and that was 1999 and thought, this is absolutely what I want to do forever. But, yeah, I didn't get my agent then until 2012, so I'd been writing all that time and had written 10 full-length manuscripts, loads and loads of short stories. So loads and loads of rejections. Uh, when I got, to, I had a spreadsheet. When it got to a hundred, I deleted it because I thought that's just really depressing. <laughs> See, now I find that so encouraging. Yes, it is depressing, but that you kept going because I would have given up after one or two. So tell me about that. I think one, I'm very, I'm just very stubborn about things that I want. You know, the way I want my life to. You know, it's funny. I met my husband online through. Uh, RSVP. Oh, did you? Yeah. How long ago? Oh, um, we've been married 12 years this year. So before that. But I remember writing in my profile, all I really want to do in in the world is, you know, live with, you know, my animals and grow vegetables and write books for a living. That was my profile. And he was really attracted to that. He loved that. And that's, you know, what I was working to creating. And that's exactly what I do now. I have animals, I grow veggies and I write books. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. But it sounds easy. It wasn't easy. I want to talk, go back about the rejections. So mm. I've often, is it Emma Visage, who is a, a musician as well as a writer? I'm do you know sure. Emma, the no. crime writer? Anyway, she's an Australian crime writer from Melbourne, Emma Visage. She's on Twitter. Okay. Anyway, she's wonderful. And she is, I can't remember what instrument she plays. And she talked to me about likening writing to music and practice. Mm. So do you think with your spreadsheet Mm. that you were writing, were you delivering the same manuscript every time? Talk to me about that. No, no. So, and I think one of the biggest mistakes actually people make is they get stuck on a book and they yes. keep thinking that they just need to keep changing it and they might be working on this same book for years and years and years and years and years and the same book is being rejected over and over and over again. And I think for most people that possibly means that they've stalled in their development and what they actually need to do is let it go and start something else. So I would work on something until I felt like, yep, I've, I've done enough that I can do here but then... You, know, you have to be able to let go as a writer. You have to be able to just let things go and go, that's practice. I mean, you wouldn't expect to be a musician without <laughs> spending hours and hours and hours practicing that's right. music and writing's the same. I definitely didn't know what sort of writer I wanted to be, so I was writing across all sorts of genres. And one day I kind of looked at what I was reading and went, well, this is what I'm reading. This is what I should, probably should be writing. And then I wrote The Tea Chest and it sold. So with your um, rejections, um, do you think, have you ever gone back and thought it it was practice and I was getting better and better? Oh, absolutely. Most of them are definitely not worthy of being published and put on a shelf. There's probably one in there that was um, a YA novel that was shortlisted for an award and had a couple of publishers look at it since then who've said, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot in there, but it's set in the 50s and, you know, the sort of like kids don't want to read about the 50s. But nothing's ever wasted and I think there's definitely stuff in that manuscript I can pull out, you know, when the time's right for a future novel 
you know, yeah. adult fiction novel that I would probably be able to use. But everything's just, you know, that's if you if you want to do something, you go to uni, you spend years. That was my apprenticeship right. as a writer. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And that think, makes sense to me. Yeah, and I actually think that happens for most writers. You know, sometimes people go, oh, I write a book and I got published, but that's kind of rare. That's mm. not really the normal path. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and what was like, so when you got rejections, did you just think, okay, all right, well, I'll just keep going? I mean, I, I find that hard to pick yourself up. Like, yeah. that, that must be hard. Oh, it's crushing. It is yeah. crushing. Of course it is because your, your book is, well, for me, my, yeah. you know, it's an extension of my heart. It's my it's my my intellectual baby it's yeah. you know uh, so many hours in it and and it feels like a personal rejection on you or it did to me anyway um so no I definitely you know went down and, and there were many times over the years when I you know would say because during that time I'd worked full-time I'd worked part-time I'd worked casually and I kept kind of changing things around to spend more and more time writing and I'd you know and then I'd met my husband and got married and I'd say oh, I should just give this up I should really just go and get a proper job and you know let it yeah. go and it's not essential but it's certainly very helpful if you have someone who believes in you a bit more than you believe in yourself and well someone enough. that helps you keep you up because yeah. it's hard yeah and my yeah. husband was that person for me and he always just said no you're born to do this keep going keep going yeah yeah wow okay so tell me about the one that got published I want to hear all about how that happened so the tea chest, uh, I had been work. I had started work on it a couple of years prior to I'd sort of worked on it, and then I, I put it away, and then I pulled it out a couple of years later, and I'd, I'd written I don't know twelve thousand words or something, and I read it, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this sounds like a real book. Like I was really shocked you liked because it, it was yeah. so. It had been such a long time between yeah. when I started it to when I read it. I'd completely forgotten what was in it. And so I thought, wow, I really should keep going with this. And so I finished that. And then I was actually pregnant with my son at the time. And I remember thinking, this is definitely the best thing I've written. I know this is the best thing I've written I so far. I wonder that if writers know that. Like it's like when some people say that when they work on a film set that they kind of got that the vibe was great, that this was going to be a good film. Well, I Do knew, you feel the same? Well, no, I, I'm always doubting all my books now. But at that point, because yeah. because before you're published, everything's, you know, you don't have all that external pressure going on. I could just look at it and go. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right. This is, this is the one that was the book I was supposed to write. And I finally did it. And so I, I was pregnant with my son. I really wanted to get it 
out. I'd come really close. You know, things had been shortlisted, things had been to mm. agents and they'd been really close. And, you know, I kept getting really close and then sort of knocked, knocked back at the last. So I didn't really know what to do with it, but I just knew I needed to do something. And I have no way to explain this, but I, you know, decided that I've got to do something with this book. I woke up the next morning, opened my eyes and heard the words, email Monica McEnany. Which is wow. so random, right? Yeah, so, so random. I, I love Monica, by the way. Oh, yeah, so do I. Great person. Uh, I call her my fairy godmother because I then did email her. And What, um, did you know her? No. I'd never, I was a massive fan. Yeah. Um, but read all the books, but no, I didn't know her. And um, anyway, I did email her. And it was a very short email, but the, the long and short of that was that she said, send me your manuscript and if I like it, I'll send it to my agent, which is what she did. And What did you went. ask her in the email? I can't tell you. Oh, okay, okay. Right, that's right. <laughs> because I don't want people to know to start flooding Monica with emails. <laughs> but I didn't ask her to uh, to take it and read it or anything. Um, yeah. But I don't know. She must have just picked there up a vibe something. or something in there that, that was worthy of pursuing. Isn't, so Isn't that a lovely connection? Yeah, it's actually a very common story that authors get their big break via another author. Is that right? Mm. Talk to me about that. I think, um, you know, publishers and agents are so overwhelmed with the amount of manuscripts they're getting. Yeah. And if they get a direct referral from one of their own authors, that makes them sit up and go, oh, okay, well, I, you know, this is, obviously this author has vetted this and thinks this is worth something. I'll give it a look, you know, have a go and have a read and see what's in it. Yeah. So that is actually a fairly common story. So... Word of mouth. Word of mouth, exactly. So it's really, I really appreciate that and I do, you know, I really believe in that paying things forward yes. uh, aspect of life. So, yeah, I, re- I like that. The writing community is so supportive. Authors are so supportive of other authors. I, I do awesome. think that. I think that all round, like, you know, in my business, we just work with really lovely people. We really do. I mean, yeah. you know, we're working with publishers and we're working with authors <laughs> And it's 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 an environment that's actually really pleasant to be in. Yeah. I think, you know, generally speaking, there's so little money on the table that people wouldn't be in it unless they were incredibly passionate about it. That's so, right. you know, they're driven by the passion and the love. But I, I think there is so little money in it, but sometimes I think, you know, the competition is fierce mm. and you, you, you could think that that would create a hugely competitive environment where people wouldn't be supportive of each other, but that is absolutely not the case. No, and I, I think there's a, Australian fiction's having a real moment at the moment. Isn't it's, it? It's really been rising in people's... Absolutely. We know, talk about that a lot. Yeah, it's, it's great. I'm, yeah. I'm loving it. Yeah. Mm. So, so talk to me about the process. So then... You know, Monica gave you whatever you can tell me, a referral or whatever, introduced you to her agent, was that right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, it still had to be in the work, right? Yeah. So tell me how it picked up from there. So my agent sent it to the big six publishers in the country all at once. I got yeah. three offers back and had to make a choice. Did you make a lot of changes to it before there? Before mm. it was sold? No, not really. I think um, my agent had given me some feedback on it and I, I had just had a baby, literally. Like, yeah. You know, I, she signed me six weeks after he was born. <laughs> so I was very, you know, sleep deprived and, and just struggling with that whole new first time mum thing. So I took a bit of time to have a bit of a play with it and develop uh, a bit of stuff. But 
Not massive. It wasn't a massive rewrite or anything. It was just sort of smoothing out a few bumps, I think. And then, yeah, and then it, off it went. And off it, it went. And, and penguin, penguin bought it or? Alan and Unwin. Oh, did. Alan and yeah. Unwin. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, that was your first book. Yeah. Wow. And tell me then, how do you follow that up? Because you mentioned earlier that that is a very different feeling to be published. It's a different pressure to not being published. Yes. It's like you can't win, right? Well, it's when you're trying to get published, you, I don't think you're thinking about the people at the other end reading it so much. All, all you're really doing is trying to write a book and you're trying to do the best book you can do. Then all of a sudden it's, you know, and people talk about that second book syndrome yes. thing. And I definitely, you know, I would write something and then I'd go, oh, my God, someone's going to read this. And then I'd delete it. And then I would, and that just, it took a while to break through that. Yeah. Um, but you just have to write. Yeah. The answer to everything is always you just have to keep writing. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about um, working um, with setting up Authors for Farmers and Authors for Townsville. Talk to me about what brings you to that point? So for Authors for Farmers, basically, you know, there was a lot of media around the drought in the country at the time. And I, well, I'm not a farmer. I live on acreage. I have horses. So, you know, I, I see and feel the effects of the drought as well. You know, your grass goes, mm-hmm. your water tanks empty, hay pri- prices skyrocket, and then it gets rationed. And then there's just, you walk into the produce and there's actually no hay in the, you know, in the shed and it's scary stuff you know and you know all of our animals are family members to us Mm. and I remember my horse Trav who's older gets lawn privileges so he was wandering around the lawn one day and I was just sitting there watching him and I thought oh it would just be just so amazingly heartbreaking you know to just literally just watching your animals die would just be you know and of Mm. course all the other social you know problems of not being able to find food or not being able to pay bills and all of those things and that go along with that so I just sort of went and I put it on Facebook and said I just really want to do something does you know does anyone have any ideas and they were sort of you know and I was sort of like would anyone be just in IT or you know but I just sort of realized that I, I wouldn't be able to raise enough money by doing that it would have to be national so I thought well I'll just email a few authors I know and say I'm thinking about right I'm doing want to do this raffle would you be interested in giving me a book and people just started just throwing books at me. They were just so, mm. you know, such a, again, such a generous author community. Mm. It really is. And it just, like, it just went wild sort of in the space yeah. of a few days. And before I'd even finished capping numbers, so I didn't even think I'd have to cap numbers because I didn't think I'd get that many, but I'd put it online and people, and it, and it, made, it raised like $8,500 in three days or something. Yeah. And then people were still sending me books and, so then I sort of, then I sort of had to cap numbers and say, look, I need to, I need to close this at a hundred because you know, and I'm yes. keeping spreadsheets and trying to get it all. And it was really, really time consuming, but it was, you know, it was great. And yeah, so we did that, and then you know, and people were disappointed because they didn't get their book in, and I was like, oh, you know, please, and we'll try and do it again. And so it was great, you know, and it raised. And then I had. Um, do you know what I like about it? I think we made a donation of a stack of books at the time for that. And what I liked about it was the person that won um, said, I'll pay for the postage. All right. Isn't that lovely? And I said, no, absolutely not. We will pick it up. Yeah, yeah. But that 
kind of reciprocated. Everybody knew that, yes. you know, nobody was making money and we were just giving yeah. something. Yeah. And yeah. I had publishers turn up and say, you yeah. know, I'll do a manuscript assessment so then we auctioned off those. And so it yeah. raised about $27,000 in the oh, end. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Which was awesome. And yeah. then, you know, we sort of ended that and I thought, at the end of that, I thought, I'll, I'll do it again one day, but yeah. for a different cause probably. But then, yeah. you know, Townsville happened so soon after the last yeah. <laughs> one again. I just thought, oh, we will do that. So we just did that again. Yeah. And how do, where does the money go? How do you work that out? So for the drought, I just chose a, a drought charity. So it has to be a re- registered charity. Of course. Yeah. Um, and I've previously, I, I founded and ran a charity, so I know how charities work. So I, you know, made sure I got their permission, you have to get written permission that says, yes, we give you permission to raise money. Oh, right. And um, then I just collected all the money and then donated it, sent to it to their charity. bank account. Yes. Right. Okay, and so it. for Townsville Give It was, is the charity that is yeah. on the ground coordinating all those funds up there. Because so you've got to find to the right it. one, don't you? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. you, they're all trying to do their best and yes. get, their, get, yeah. get their goods out there. Yeah. Mm. Uh, how are people on the land going at the moment? Because well, it's sporadic, the rain, isn't it? I flew into Victoria the other day, into Melbourne, and it was just brown. I know that someone I follow on um, Instagram who I've met who's down in South Australia has just been – still don't have any rain. Yeah. It's just brown as brown as brown. Yeah. Nothing. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's such a land of extremes, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> you know, half of Queensland's flooded. The other half's got nothing. It's just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So, tell me. So, how you got your second book out? Yes. Went out. Yeah, and were you happy with that? Was that as yeah, was it as difficult as your first? It was more difficult than the first because, yeah. uh, well, largely because I had a newborn and I was yeah. you know, <laughs> under contract and time pressure and I was very sleep deprived and you know just chocolate and coffee became my best friends mm. at that point. Mm. So yeah, so that one was was tough just from and we were moving house and all sorts of stuff was going on there, and then. Yeah, the Beekeeper Secret was the third. That one was a gift. That one turned up really well. Yeah. And authors often say this, you know, some every book's different. Some are easier than others. Yes. And Do you know, I spoke to Lee Child. Um, I recorded a podcast with him, I think it was late last year, and you would think such a seasoned writer, if you like. He said to me, every book, it's like starting again, mm. like it doesn't get easier. And it's the first time I'd heard it said that way. And I thought, you know, writers... It, that's a difficult profession. It you know, can be. It can even be. though you've got the practice, it's hard to start, to sit down and start. Yeah, and I guess too, depending on what sort of writer you are, because I don't plan a lot, I sort of, or I do, actually I do make plans, but then the plans never stick because right. my characters always Go sort off. of take over and do yeah. what they want to do. And I know with um, Three Gold Coins, when I first wrote that, I ended up doing three separate versions of that book completely. Could have written three different novels out of it. It was a really, really difficult book. And the the first version I I ended up ditching at 50,000 words and it had been really, really difficult the whole way through. And I kept thinking, oh, this is just a hard book. Everybody says, you know, some books are just hard books. and But it was too hard. It was way too hard. Yeah. And I really should have um, worked that out a lot earlier, I think. But I now know that that book had two completely different novels going on in the one story. So they right. were sort of competing with each other. So I, I split it essentially and wrote Three Gold Coins and now the second half will be out next year. So right. I've okay. sort of taken that half and developed it into a different novel. Book. 
Yeah, interesting. So The Gift of Life, your new book, Mm. tell me about that. So The Gift of Life is a story about two women who are connected by the one heart. So we have Gabby McPhee who had her heart transplant two years prior to the book opening and she has a very cute little boutique cafe and coffee roasting business in Melbourne. And then one day in walks Crystal Arthur and Crystal donated her husband's organs two years prior to the book opening and when they meet, it sets off a chain of events that sort of bring them together and set them on a journey to solve a mystery. And that mystery is around Crystal's husband's death. So as far as she knew, he walked out of their home in Melbourne one night to go and work at a restaurant. And several hours later, she got a call from the police saying, your husband's in Sydney, he's in ICU and you need to come now. And she has no idea why he's in Sydney and has now, no one's ever been able to tell her why. So they... Yeah, they go on a on a journey to solve yeah. that mystery. Mm. Well, as as you said, it's uplit. Um, it's uh, it's a beautiful book. It's called The Gift of Life. Um, Josephine Moon, thank you for chatting with us today. Thanks so much for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audio books are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play, or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.